All right, so I got I got two work related thingies for you. Um, what's and these are all non um, non proprietary and non confidential, so you're not breaking anything. Uh, what's what's your thought on emojis in business communication? Not anything formal or public, but in communicating with other people internally. It definitely depends on the coworker, and I would say that. In cases where I use them, I use them a lot more sparingly than I do in my um, off-the-clock conversations, as you'd say. Hmm. Is, does that, is that consistent with, with your philosophy, or do you use more emojis at work? Kind of. So I'm going to send you, and this might actually be a, do you have, continue forward without all the images. What, what does this even mean, Gmail? Um, yeah, I'm going to forge you a newsletter. Well, so and this is this is unrelated, but You're, wait, are you sending me an email while we're recording the show? Has has this ever been done before? Uh, I have no idea. I try not to use email whenever I can, because <laughs> I because I used your life hack of uh, turning off email badges. And well, actually, look, can we look can we have a quick sidebar or or circle back to that topic? Yeah, I feel like that's worse. So I turned off, I don't remember if you recommended turning off email notifications or, or badges for unread email or oh, both. Oh, both, both, yeah. So for me, that has now turned me just into, I now open the Gmail app on my phone like I do Instagram, and I just like assuming something is going to be there. Like I feel mm. like it's worse. So now I open Gmail 50 times a day yeah. instead of kind of like getting instant anxiety because there's now an unread badge there but at least i think that was probably that's probably was fewer than 50 times a day so i feel like it's worse so still still working that out but going back to this uh to the emoji thing i i am really a fan of i'm not quite a casey list type but and that's not, and that's not anything bad about that but like i like emoji in business chat not business email but I think emojis break up like information density and help you if you use them strategically can make Slack much more readable. So like when I say using emoji, I don't mean just doing the colon joy colon joy emoji just for the you know the millennials favorite um, like cry laughing emoji. But if you use like a chart like with like with the line going up or going down or like the writing hand, like there's a lot of ways where I feel like that can make a slack message much more digestible and that people will understand what you're saying more if deployed strategically but i do think your point about who is the audience and who are you speaking to is is very relevant i think the other thing too with with emojis which is sort of their use at the workplace or outside is it's just a way to sort of express some Emotion's not quite the right word, but just sort of like maybe like tone is the is a better word where if if you really want to say emphasize that something is sort of meant to be lighthearted or something, I feel like an emoji is a good way to better convey that. Whereas maybe with no emoji that, you know, that may not come across as clearly. So I, I think you're right. And I think that kind of actually goes to, I'm not, it's not, it's something that I'm not sure if it's been one of those topics we've always meant to talk about or we haven't. Have you had, do you have a position on um, like exclamation point inflation? 
not a fan of that. I very, very rarely use more than one exclamation point. And to be honest, do you mean actually in a don't row use... or in a single email? Uh, I would say both because I also don't use exclamation points all that often. I don't think. Yeah, and this this is this is a tricky a tricky thing to talk about because I do think like this particular thing is actually very gendered. But like I don't, like using exclamation, point, it feels like with everything like because I'm somebody who writes in a very I'd say. I, I'm concise, but also very verbose at times. But like I, I'm very much to the point, and not not in a way that I read that like that I think reads as dickishness. But I, but it is direct. Where if there's something I need from you or need to tell you, I don't necessarily want to spend four paragraphs doing it. And I think like all the the thank yous and everything, and all all the formalities and pleasantries, like you, it feels like we've entered this weird stage where you now have to have four exclamation points per email to show that you're not mad at somebody. And I don't love that that's how things are now. You know what my substitute for that, I think, is? Is I do the thing where at the beginning of an email, I'll say thanks, and then I'll conclude the email with thanks again. I do, Wait, that, a, I can, do that a lot. Can you give me an example of how that works at the start? Um, I mean, you're just saying thanks for... Your like how how would that work? Yeah, thanks for thanks for the note, thanks for the response, thanks for the document. Well, I mean, whatever. Like, and then it's a sentence or two, and then it's thanks again. Hmm. I th- I've noticed hmm. that I've been doing that probably with too much regularity, and I I need to figure out a way to kind of break that up a little bit. So maybe I'll start using well, exclamation marks. <laughs> like I'm actually kind of envious because I feel like if I were to ever do that, that would come off as me saying like per our last email. Oh like, yeah, I, like, I definitely try not to do that. <laughs> like I, because because that's where I feel like I can't say thanks. I can't say that sentence like uh, thanks for the for the for like the last notes you provided or something. Like if I don't have an exclamation point after that, I, f- I feel like I'm saying like I'm being a dick. I don't know. It's tricky. Anyway, what were we talking about? So yes, so in the email, I for- <laughs> oh sorry, I, I didn't, I didn't, I I did a Phil Schiller. I'll, I sent you an email without any context. <laughs> At there, least there's a subject. Oh yeah. Oh no. Oh, oh I think they covered this on Upgrade uh, a few weeks ago while we were off. Where Phil Schiller is is a, a multi exclamation point person. Oh, very much so. Yes. But was wait was it Phil or uh, was it Schiller or or Cook the one who? just forwards emails with uh thoughts question mark <laughs> i think that was that was tim yeah because uh, he's because he's typing on an ipad and he can't figure out <laughs> okay we'll, we'll get to that but i sent you there's an email newsletter i like that's it's fairly new and you know it's kind of the era of just everybody has a sub stack or whatever but it's called the san francisco minute and i think the dude that writes this is actually very good about using because this is kind of how i use emoji in slack where you just kind of put a related emoji to whatever you're talking about to break up what it is you're sending. And this is where I found out about Hamilton being back in town. Um, yeah, I, I like the way that this guy does, does his newsletter. And yeah, also, I, I like this. Yeah. All right. And then the last bit of work stuff that's been on my radar. Uh, what's, what's the worst phrase? Uh, living document or building a plane while it's in the air? Or have you not heard either of these? I've heard both. Which is worse or which is least bad? 
Hmm. <laughs> hmm. So that's a tough choice. Um, is this the is this a prisoner's dilemma? What, which which one did we learn about in college? Uh, no, this this one is game theory. Where if you <laughs> if you say that uh, the notes from this meeting are a living document, then I think we both go to jail. <laughs> I would say that the well the the living document thing is definitely the more like kind of corporate speak of the two um whereas building a plane while flying it i don't know that, that i guess maybe that one bothers me a little bit less yeah but well then i guess so then what about give me the forty thousand foot view like i feel like business is, is riddled with i don't i don't mind that analogies. i actually don't mind that one <sighs> okay all right well, that was it. Those are, those are my uh, that that's our uh, <laughs> post COVID work. That, yeah, we 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 solved uh, post COVID work. <laughs> You're right. Ah, uh, I'm so happy to read that Apple news. Oh, I love it. They about them coming back to the office. You betcha. Yeah. because uh, I th- I still think you're firmly in the camp of uh, all remote if possible, right? Oh no 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 no. I wait. What was your because I thought we disagreed on that. Where and again, I understand I don't have an office job, but that all these people that are like. Oh yeah, COVID's forcing twenty years in the future, and and nobody's going to have an office, and everybody's going to be sometimes, occasionally at a WeWork, but everybody's going to work from home because everything's great all the time. Um. Well, so you know, where I work, we we actually had this type of setup pre-pandemic, which was sort of, I guess, what's now being called like a flexible type work schedule, where. I was usually physically in the office three or four times a week and then at home the other one or two. And those days of the week would have some kind of regular cadence sometimes, but also be sort of flexible from from week to week. And I found that to kind of give you the best of both worlds where, you know, there are certain situations, certain meetings, et cetera, where being physically in an office is, is really helpful. So you'd kind of try and set those up on days you were in the office, whereas there were other days where maybe there's a quick errand you need to run in the middle of the day, or maybe you just need some extra focus time. And so being at home makes more sense. So that type of flexibility, I really like and and appreciate about where where I work. And I I think that's probably where this will all kind of shake out. Like, I don't know if that'll just be kind of what everybody does right off the bat as as everybody starts to go back. But I, I think over some period of time here, as things settle back in, that's where a lot of companies will will land, you know, as you would say. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know if it's if I'm ado- if I'm taking this term from uh, like the in-person schooling discussion where if, is it a hybrid model? Or like at my workplace, they would say a blended model where you would have, yeah, you'd have some, some days at work, some days at home. And, and that's, that's totally fine. Where landing at three to four days a week in the office is probably the right choice. And then depending on your job type, fully remote or always in the office might be a better fit. But for the most part, yeah, people, people need to be around other people. And that's, that's generally a better way to work. But anyway. we know it's kind of, it's interesting with, with the Apple stuff. So we'll, we'll put a link in the Bloomberg notes. All right. We'll put a link the to li- the Bloomberg the document article in the, in the living document. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, so, you know, they're, they're talking about three days a week in the office, two days a week at home. But what's unique about their policy is that they are saying that people will be expected to be in the office on certain days. So it's Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays with the option to then be remote Wednesdays and Fridays. And I guess as part of the the memo that Tim Cook sent out, which this article was based on, there's a quote that says, we are setting consistent days in the office to help us optimize our time for in-person collaboration. And I think what's what's different about this from a lot of what's been out there, I mean, basically since the pandemic started and people started talking about what a return to office would look like is a lot of the um, flexible work arrangements, hybrid models, whatever you want to call them, where there's this mix of in office and at home, it's been sort of having people rotate in and out on different days, mostly as a way to, you know, kind of reduce capacity mm-hmm. in the office at any given time. And now that it kind of seems like we're headed towards a scenario where that's not going to matter as much anymore. Um, I wonder if more companies will actually kind of go this direction that Apple's taking, which is still allowing for the the flexible work schedule where you have some days at home, but maybe it's it's like assigned days, just given that occupancy limits apparently aren't really going to be a thing here for much longer. So, so that's that's interesting because like. Because I hadn't actually, until the Apple thing, I hadn't really thought about, because you've seen the stories about uh, like Zoom in a room classes with California schools, right? Are you familiar with that phrase? No. So it's where, because with the reopening of schools towards the end of um, this, the school year that just closed, they would give people the choice of, hey, do you want to return to the classroom or stay remote? So you'd have a small number of students returning to the classroom, either due to capacity limits or parent-student choice. And then you'd have somebody at the front of the classroom still mostly just teaching to remote people. And then you would just have kids who actually did attend school were just on laptops attending the same Zoom class just in person. So it was basically online class, but they were still there. Where that kind of makes sense where if everybody gets to kind of choose what their flex days are or when they come to the office, that actually might not give you that kind of, without structure, that might not give you the advantage of everybody being in the same place at the same time, which is the functional point of an office and for in-person collaboration. So yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. I think sort of a a slightly different way to do what what Apple's doing is you can also do this by team. So you can say, you know, Hey, you know, my, my team is in the office these days and, you know, maybe there's this other team that we don't really interact with very much and we don't necessarily care like what their days are. And then you kind of, you kind of set it up that way. Um, yeah. And, and they can coordinate out as a company where there might be certain teams that are vital to work together or whatnot. I mean, th- th- I'm, sh- I'm sure Apple, I'm sure they have a version of iCal that works. So it's, but, but I think that, you know, there is a, um, there are a couple of other sort of takeaways from this Apple thing. One being that there's no doubt that the last, you know, going on year and a half has really fundamentally changed the way that a lot of companies view office work versus at-home work where, you know, pre-March 2020, it it was completely unthinkable that Apple 
would really allow any kind of at-home work. I mean, this is the company that's, you know, kind of famous for mandating that people, you know, live within commuting distance from Cupertino to be able to to work for the company. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean, clearly, you know, it's not as if like everybody's just going to instantly snap back to the way that that things were. However, that the second point is kind of a caveat to the first, which is that Apple does make it clear that this is not necessarily a permanent policy and that it's going to be, or that Tim Cook calls it a pilot to continue the, the um, airplane analogies here, um, <laughs> effort that will be reevaluated in 2022. And that's, well, but, but, that, that's what I, I, that's, I guess, something that I'd expect to happen here. And, and this obviously doesn't just apply to like return to office. This kind of applies to, I mean, geez, probably everything in life as things sort of get back to normal is there'll be a lot of things that continue to evolve for the next year well, or two. So let me ask. So I guess, what do you think? Do you think the chain, if, if it's reevaluated and changed in 2022, do you think it, it goes in what direction more it, embracing of a remote or be, or this being a stepping stone towards more of almost in the office all the time the the latter i i i could, I could like if you, if you told me at the end of 2022 that apple was was basically back in the office 5 days a week for for most employees like that wouldn't surprise me at all yeah so that's that's sort of the that's sort of the interesting thing about making these declarations about how you know nothing's ever going to be the same and how you know everything's different now like that's why i think like i sort of think in retrospect like some of the stuff like twitter comes to mind where they like very early on were like all right fine we're just going to be full fully remote forever going forward i I, I know some of that stuff i think is going to look maybe a little silly when we get you know a couple years removed from from all this yeah, it's going to seem like a little bit of a snap, a snap thing that you know was was maybe a bit rushed. Yeah, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I do feel like I've been right about this the entire time, which is just and I and I do I, I and in my characterization of your position was not that you think that was going to be the new normal. But I thought you had a stronger preference for work at home, but yeah, I, like the whole because there were all these dumb articles as well about like oh the fact that like pandemic traffic was so much lower than this in like San Francisco did like those slow street pilots and like the look to make it hyper local to Marin, like, uh, like how they would, all these, uh, what's, what's the San Rafael fourth street out, outdoor dining thing called? It was like dining under the lights or something. Yeah. yeah something like that. But like, everybody was like, Oh, we're, we're going to reimagine infrastructure and this is going to change the way like, no Americans, Americans are bad where, where everybody wants just things to go back mostly to the way that they are. And some people who may have been really happy that they don't have to go into the office and they've shaved in a two hours off their day because there's no longer commuting. One that's discounting a lot of people who actually did prefer in-person interaction of the way that things were. And also not that everything has to go back to normal immediately, but that like things are going to gravitate towards the way that they work. For a lot of reasons, things worked that way due to many other reasons and for society sort of that that worked not that it's the best way but people who thought that 
the pandemic was going to somehow refactor every bit of American life. It's not true. And just like there's certain things like curbside pickup and 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 more emphasis on e-commerce and more familiarity and ability to do things online. Like all that stuff, absolutely. But a lot of other parts, like no, like summer travel this summer, well, obviously, is going to show that most people, like they just want to go back and do the shit that they always used to do and that they're super bummed that they weren't able to do that for the past 15 months. And um, if they didn't spend all that much money redoing their house, like in the pandemic, like they have money to burn for travel now because everybody just wants to get the fuck out there and live life like it was sort of normal. Yeah. So I don't know. Hey, it's a topic that we've had in the hopper for six months and we never got to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Follow up. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is not in the notes, but this is something that's been bugging me uh, for weeks now, and I don't know if it's in the main doc. Oh, yeah, so we have this under WWC 2021. So when uh, the iPad Pro 2021 edition came out, like the review embargo was lifted about two weeks ago-ish? I think they came out on the 21st, and then the review embargo lifted either the day before or a couple days before something like that got it so yeah so we we were away but there's one one thing that that i've been itching to to get to to grouse about which is why there's a lot of people who like ipads that how do i frame this what what was the consistent theme of a lot of the reviews that came out about the 2021 iPad. Can you sum that up in a sentence? The hardware is excellent, but it's let down by its software. Thank you for the for the layup there or for mm-hmm. the for the assist. Mm-hmm. I don't get and and I understand on the show we, we this is not an important issue. Like we just talked about stuff that is more important than this and and more most things in life are more important than complaining about the way people review iPads. But why the iPad has been like this for a very long time. Why this year are reviewers and and people who seem to be like iPad proponents, and there's an unspoken subtext to this that I think most people can put together, why this year do people su- suddenly think the iPad software is inadequate? It's been like this for since the 2018 iPad came out. Like, why now? It, it's, it's a good question. Um I, I think there are a couple of reasons, or at least a couple of reasons. You know, one is that we've now been through a complete sort of cycle with the iPad, you know, going back to the 2018 iPad Pro to this 2021 iPad, where through this entire kind of product generation, the hardware has been so far ahead of the software and i think in 2018 i mean it's probably been true the ipad's entire life but i think in 2018 with these ipad pros that was like the first time where like the hardware was like truly just leaps and bounds ahead of of the software and the consensus at that time was like oh well surely you know ipad os or i guess it was probably still just ios at that time will we'll catch up. And now there's this realization that three years have gone by and we've gone to this kind of entirely new generation of iPads and the software story is still the same. 
So I think that's part of it. And then I think another big piece here is that the iPad literally has the same chip as the latest round of Macs. And, you know, the 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 M1 was so universally praised and by all accounts seems to be a, a phenomenal processor. And, you know, the, those Macs that it was put into were kind of hard to find a lot of fault with. But now that same processor is being put into a device where, you know, it's not as complete of a package as it's a part of on the Mac. Yeah, so that that's the that's the one that's been made a lot that I don't really buy. Which is but so so now that cuz cuz everybody who is very much on board with team iPad and that this is a revolutionary way to work and the and the Mac is, is the Mac is crufty and old. Like why does the fact that the processor is the same somehow make the fact that multitasking is abysmal? And that you can't trust that something runs in the background. Like I, I understand that there's it's it's you can no longer say it's a hardware difference, but I don't think anybody really thought like everybody was always like, oh, these A series chips are amazing, and and there's so much there's there's power for days, and so much that's unused about the iPad Pro. But the fact that using one or two or more apps is just a hot mess on the iPad, that hasn't changed. So I don't I don't understand or buy the theory the theory that this now begs a comparison that was unstated before well so i guess maybe to also point something else out here is with a lot of these reviews it's not like this is the first time that this idea is being brought up it's having more emphasis put on it this time around but you know someone like jason snell with his review on six colors i mean he's been beating this drum for a long time i mean and he he Oh, yeah. I mean, for mm. it's been the last couple of years on Upgrade. He's said that he's a big fan of the iPad. He uses it a bunch, but, but is kind of the first to acknowledge that iPadOS has a ton of limitations that are just becoming more and more glaring the better and better that the hardware gets. Maybe I'm not listening closely enough. Like I've, I always feel like I, I remember his, his drumbeat was that if if they want this to be a true pro iPad for pro use, they have to ship their pro apps on the iPad. I've never really heard the complaints about the difficulty of, of getting stuff done on the iPad being a thing. Well, well, I mean, Jason's real deep into shortcuts. So mm-hmm. he he's performing tasks on an iPad that you and I would have a lot of trouble being people who don't really use shortcuts a bunch. Um, and then the other thing is that he does he does talk quite a bit about how crummy multitasking is. Well, he's been very... Well, th- and I guess maybe that's the difference where I have never heard that before, but this, this uh, the past couple of weeks where he... Because he really likes that, that was it called, Ferrite? The right. Pod, yeah, the, like the logic, but for podcasts on iOS. The point, and that's something that I have, this has driven me up the wall about an iPad all the time, which is that you can never trust if something will stay active in memory or or get priority processing in the background, where he basically has to stop using his iPad for whatever five to 15 minutes that it takes to to bounce an audio file or to export a video, because he can't trust that if he swipes to another app that it will continue to render in the background. Like... That's insane. So I guess, so maybe 
maybe a different way of also of answering your original question here is and this is this is really specific to the 11 inch ipad pro since it doesn't have the new fancy screen like at least the 12.9 has the the fancy screen it can point to mm-hmm. but at least with the 11 inch there's you know there's no change in in form factor there's really no change in battery life i mean literally the only change from the 2018 ipad is a faster processor and then a faster USB-C type connector now that it's got you know Thunderbolt support mm-hmm. and i think what's being i think what, what what's highlighted by that is you know both the processor and the port are giving you more speed that the software really can't take any advantage of because even with things like the ferrite example Sure, a project exports a bit quicker, but that doesn't change the fact that you really can't minimize the window while that's happening. So it it doesn't really help you at all. Whereas, you know, maybe with previous iPad updates where you've gotten a change in form factor or like, you know, you've gotten the addition of Face ID or going further back Touch ID or a Retina screen or something, there were at least like these non-software dependent features you could point to and say like, oh, okay, this is a nice upgrade compared to before. But this upgrade really is just all about a speed bump, which in the absence of any sort of software improvement can't be used for anything, really. That's incredibly, f- yeah. That that that's a good point, and that's fair. I still do think almost all those complaints still have been there for a while. But but I guess, well, I I'll, I'll give you another dynamic here too. That's probably at play is hmm. a lot of people who cover the iPad. I mean, just I mean, call a spade a spade. Have probably been fans of the iPad and have like really wanted it to succeed. Yeah, and there's got to be. There's got to be a, a, an element it, of just like... But why is this now the breaking point? Well, I think going because of what I just said, which is like it's 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 now been a couple generations of hardware. And during that time, like the software has just done nothing. I mean, you know, I mean, last year at WWDC, like Apple was almost like dismissive of the ipad it was like remember remember wwdc last year it's like they could not wait to get past the ipad section like they just blew through that as fast as they possibly could that mostly felt like a a function of that hey we we haven't had the time to actually bake a lot of features into this because i was 14 like other than um what was it called app clips and a few and a few other things like because like do you do you use app library i don't well, I, I mean, I, I do because I now only have one screen of apps and then everything else just gets thrown into the app library. Oh, no. Oh, uh, uh, save, save that. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Well, you and, I, you and I have always very fundamentally disagreed on iPhone home screens and uh, Apple uh, Watch faces. I think, I think we fundamentally disagreed on iPhone wallpaper, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I feel like iOS 14, like... It, People were bummed that app library and and rich widgets because you can still sort of do widgets on iOS fourteen, but it's just it's part of um, the little like swipey, like uh, is it called a today view? Like what's what's the thing that's non notification center but that has widgets? Today view sounds, sounds right. right. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like I mean, I, I yeah, they they didn't get into it because yeah, they didn't have a lot of time to bake those features into iPad OS. But I don't think any of those like the fact that the iPad doesn't have app library is not why the iPad sucks for productivity. Like I, I like it as a as a Spotify controller, uh, but that's a very expensive and, and unwieldy Spotify controller. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, we talked about this like two weeks ago. What was your conclusion? Are is there going to be a big rethink of how multitasking works with the iPad OS fifteen? No. Yes or no? No. So then what then? So then the iPad still like nothing's resolved. Yeah, I mean that that's what I'm that's what I'm fascinated by is that. Wasn't that Mike's pick? I actually, I, I haven't. I'm so far behind on podcasts. I haven't listened. Well, can I, to can I give you a spoiler? Yet. That's fine. Yeah. In the draft, I think one of his final picks was there's no major change to iPad OS to make it better, and he he cited that like I don't want this to be true, but I fear that it's true. Yeah, I, I, that I kind mean, of feels right. You know me, like I, I'm I'm all about leaks leading up to the event, and I mean to be fair, software stuff does have a little bit of a better track record at being well but that's 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 your thing that, that's kind of like your the buck stops here thing is your your point has always been the hardware leaks so you can't double down on secrecy but software you kind of can yeah but like w- the software stories changed in the last couple of years too though where mm-hmm. you know ios 14 13 i think even like 12 the, the it's been the last two or three years it feels like we've kind of gotten the big German dump you know at least a couple of weeks before if not longer that's like hey here's all the new stuff and there there was that that story it kind of flew under the radar uh, a week or two ago where German did it was like his big WWDC preview feature and he did talk about iPad OS and he said that oh it was going to have sort of like I think it was like a reimagined home screen or something Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of it. Like there was no mention of multitasking or better external display support or some of the other things that people have been asking. And again, like I'll admit that the chances of that stuff being able to be kept secret is is a lot better than like some big surprise hardware announcement. But I don't know. Um, like if if I, I at this point my my gut tells me that we're going to get something similar to last year where iPad OS will be acknowledged as an operating system that's in their lineup and they will <laughs> promptly move on. Uh, and then, and then I, and then I don't know what the articles are. Like, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the reaction to that is given the, uh, kind of foundation that's been laid with these iPad reviews. Because, you know, the other thing that I, I really, I think Upgrade maybe two episodes ago talked about this, like, if there truly was some huge big rethink of iPadOS, it really doesn't make sense to ship brand new iPads like five weeks, or no, actually, no, not even, like three weeks before you announce that. Like, Apple, Apple would be savvy enough to know that it would make way more sense to just announce all that stuff together. So I, I think given the timing of the iPad release, that's a big tell that there isn't some big software thing that's going to happen right after that. Well, especially because there was, uh, remember like we, we remarked on this, like the whole late May thing. I mean, at that point, like the things barely shipped like a week and a half ago. 
So at that point, if WWDC is Monday, like, yeah, what, why even bother with the May event? Because wait, I, I already, I already forgot. Was it was AirTags and iPads? That was it, right? Um. I oh, and the iPad too. Well, don't forget about um, Apple Card family sharing. I <laughs> want until the house making. You know, you don't have an Apple Card, right? I do not. No. Good. Good. Thank you. Um. All right. Well, anyway, that, that was that was a bee in my bonnet. Anytime I would listen to uh, anybody say that the, the hardware is outpacing the software, I'm like, well, have you been asleep the entire Trump presidency? Like, I mean, I know there's something going on, but it's been it's been shitty for four it, years. It's so so it's been I guess so to to put a to put a pin in this, mm-hmm. um, as you'd say, another it, business analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, Nothing has necessarily changed with this iPad. I think the point you're making about this having been a problem for a long time is a thousand percent true. And I think there's probably been many who have been a little slow on the on the uptake there. But I'd also say that I think the gap between the hardware and software has never been greater than it is now. So the problem is the same, but it's it's magnified tenfold now with the hardware capability of these latest iPads. That's fair. All right. Actual follow-up. Um, this happened so long ago. I don't remember what this is. That was oh, one of our, one of our mini episodes was about, um, the, the A's, um, their, their whole stadium proposal in uh, Jack London square that, Oakland had been pushing back against, and then I don't remember if we talked about this explicitly, but basically Major League Baseball gave the A's permission to start looking at other mm-hmm. cities, and in response to that, Oakland has has sort of said like, "Hey, you know, don't leave. Like, we'll we'll work with you, but you got to like work in good faith, basically." But they already tried. Yeah, that that was the thing where okay, so no, because I didn't remember what what part that this addressed of the article. Because no, we we covered that they were going to do an exploratory thing to see what cities they might move to. But yeah, but it, but I do think this was a good bargaining move on the part of the A's because you just have to force the question and show that like you've you've done your homework and you've done the stuff, and it's it's kind of on somebody else to at least play ball, mm. you know, mm-hmm. at least a little bit, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, this is I, I, I but I, I don't actually remember the story enough because it happened May fourteenth, and that was a very long time ago. Today is June second, so yeah, we'll we'll leave the link in the show notes. Well, and, and in your defense, these types of stories don't play out over the course of days or weeks. Like, I mean, this is like months or years, so you know, nothing's necessarily gonna change super fast here. Mm. But man, I love the re- if you if in the in the Chronicles article, if you look at the rendering on on image three. It's pretty. Uh, oh yeah, the stadium. Mm-hmm. I I was looking at. They actually have a kind of little embedded document thing. That's the the letter that the city oh, of Oakland yeah, yeah. sent to Rob Manfred. And I was thinking back to our email conversation here, and I was interested to see how this letter started. And it's, <laughs> dear Commissioner Manfred, I hope this letter finds you and yours well and healthy. <laughs> He should just reply back, no, it's been a pretty shitty year. <laughs> how, how are you doing? <laughs> and then the next paragraph is in bold, which is a uh, bold move, uh, one might say. Eh, 
going back to the email thing, I I sometimes bold stuff, and I'm also somebody who will. I don't know if you ever do this. I will sometimes write action required in the subject line if I don't think you're going to pay attention to what I wrote you. I I try. That's kind of my nuclear option. Let's say, like, I try really hard not to do that. But if if push comes to shove and I haven't been getting a response or something is like truly mm-hmm. time sensitive, then I will pull out the like you know all cap urgent or response required or something like that but i i I, I don't like doing that it's a sliding scale because either i'm the person that's texting you hey to get my email and i sound like (laughs) it sounds like i'm in a taylor swift song or or like or i'm writing the two sentence like hey i'm not sure you're actually gonna read this whole thing so i'm gonna write like a really and not intentionally curt but like just like kind of a really direct email and then i look like a dick email's hard the email is hard yeah uh also i i well never mind we'll, we'll move on slack uh, is hard too but that's like we could do a whole show on that well i'm i keep trying to teach people how to use slack anyway. it's it it's hard it's it's like it it solves some of the problem with email but it introduces like so many other problems that i'm not <laughs> i'm not sure if it's a net benefit or not yeah, I just, again, a hidden feature that I love about Slack is you can uh, hit the little three dots button on any message and say, remind me about this in three hours. Oh, I use that all the time. So mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Because whenever somebody posts something, it's always literally whenever I'm doing anything else where yeah. I'm happy I saw this, but I can't deal with this right now. And uh, and uh, efficient, and this goes back to the emoji thing, efficient and um, respectful use of uh, the reaction emojis is very good. The one really quick thing on Slack mm-hmm. that just drives me crazy. I I actually do. I, I, I like a lot of parts about Slack and I, I think the apps are pretty good and there's a lot to like about Slack. But the one thing that just drives me nuts is if you are, you know, you're sent a message and if you, if that message prompts you to receive a notification per your notification rules, which are also the options there are really good. If you then go to read that message on your Mac, that notification doesn't automatically Bro, that's, clear. That's been, that's been broken for six months. I, and I, I know. And I well, it. that's the that's maybe the most frustrating part is that it used to work. It and did. This is this is like a couple of years ago now that it's probably been <laughs> broken. Um, and I just I just don't understand why that can't be fixed. I don't know because I, I thought that was because I'm on the I'm on the Slack uh, for iOS beta. I thought that was what it was, but no, I have the thing where I read it on my Mac, and then I just have this badge that says two on my phone forever. Yeah, and it, it just makes no difference. And whenever I like I'm, I'm on my Mac and I look at Mailplane, like every other uh, app seems to have no issues uh, retracting an unread badge state, but uh, Slack seems to. It's been it's now basically everywhere. Where no matter what, well, actually, no, on the Mac, it never has the issue of knowing, like if I acknowledge something well, on my phone. That's, so what, what's, what's crazy about it is that it, so it, it works as you'd expect if you read a message on either your iPhone or iPad, the notification then clears on the Mac, like yes. you expect it to, mm-hmm. but doesn't work the other way around. So from yeah. your Mac to your phone or to your iPad. Also doesn't work from iPhone to iPad. So if you read something on your iPad, that does not clear the notification on your iPhone or vice versa. And it's just, 
doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, I try to keep notifications to a minimum on Slack. I mean, that's, that's one of the kind of key ways to make Slack work, but I, I still get, you know, a fair number every day. And that's just one of those things that just, uh, it just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And they they have like they have so they have so many smart features around notifications, like setting rules around, you know, when to also notify you on your phone, you know, if it if it senses that you're also active on your computer, and it, it does all kinds of things, but it just it can't do that simple thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yep. All right. Uh, okay. So Spotify. I'm not. Uh, this is kind of follow up. Um, Spotify has added, but have they, has added offline music downloads to Apple Watch. So as we've covered uh, a couple of months ago when I started uh, going for runs and hikes without my phone, uh, Spotify, as of last November, had a fully uh, standalone Apple Watch app where you could, if you had a cellular-enabled Apple Watch, you could access all of your playlists and music uh, without your phone involved, because before that point, it was just more of a remote control. And now, allegedly, as of May 21st, you can designate on your phone that this playlist or this album is should be available for offline playback on the watch. And then you don't have to burn your battery and uh, data plan on downloading music. But I have been checking the App Store every day. And that option is not available to me. And that's that's very irritating. And also, there's something we didn't talk about a couple of months ago where there's a feature that's been missing on the Kindle for over a decade, where when you when you put your Kindle to sleep, it just shows you one of these like eight stock images. Well, unless you're somebody who buys the, the with ads Kindle, which uh, you can unsubscribe. But... That software update is still not available to me either. And and Dan Morin said he got it, so I don't know what the holdup is. I've got um like a current generation Kindle Oasis, so and I'm just I'm striking out on software updates. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this Verge article, which will be in the notes, that describes the Spotify update, and there isn't anything in here that's like says like it's a phased rollout or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Because that. that's that's like I mean, I mean like Gmail's famous for that, right? Where it's like they inter- they introduce a new feature and they they like slowly roll it out over the course of like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I'm not seeing anything like that here. So yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, but overall, I mean, the, I, I I'm not actually sure because we also covered this where I did an experiment where I used Apple Music with an offline playback playlist versus spotify that streamed all the time and it was actually if the gps was the thing that was killing the battery Mm -hmm. the streaming on spotify was actually negligible and that was maybe an eight to eight to ten percent battery life delta versus using apple music so i mean i'm still excited this would be nice in case i'm um hiking or running in a place without cell service but yeah i don't know but i'm i'm glad it's happening and hopefully it was due to because it wasn't due to their unwillingness for this to happen. It was, it was more of Apple's restrictions. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Main business. What's what's the... You know, oh, oh, we haven't talked about the new the newest entrant into the streaming wars. Or the new... Um, what's the thing when something becomes... When you just put two things together? 
Uh, synergy. No. Oh, <laughs> this is actually this. This make this would be for you. Oh, this, this is actually perfect. You're a Food Network person, right? Uh, very much so. Yeah. All right. Have you? And I don't like this term. And I'm. And I. And I was happy that I'd forgotten it for a while. But are you familiar with the term of dump dinners? <laughs> no. So you can Google it. It's safe for work. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't need to turn safe search on or anything. Oh, uh, 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 nope. Uh, well, actually, do I have safe search on? I don't know. Dump dinners. Yeah. Food Network easiest ever dump dinners. It's basically where you just throw a bunch of shit into a pan. Sorry for the language. So, Food Network easiest ever dump dinners. <laughs> so, sorry. First, we have a show title. I'm sorry, but it's a quote. It's a hassle. Uh, some days you can make a multi two course meal, but other times, question mark, it's a hassle to even place an order for takeout. <laughs> Enter the dump dinner. If you're, uh, how do you not know about this? If you're unfamiliar, comma, dump dinners are exactly what they sound like. Dump all the ingredients into a casserole dish, slow cooker, sheet pan, or pot, and dinner is just about done. Alfredo shrimp scampi dump dinner. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Okay, moving on. I know I, know I need to I know I need to grow up, but just it's just it's just the phrase dump dinner that's just making me laugh. All right, well, okay, so as somebody you you're somebody who is morally sympathetic <laughs> to uh, trash can nachos and donkey sauce. So right. I'm not sure where where you're your your um where you're sitting from. It's glass house. Wait, so are the trash can <laughs> nachos? Is that an example <laughs> go, of a go, dump dinner? Go 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 DM guy. I don't know. Doesn't he live here? He does. Yeah. He, does, he lives... Doesn't he live in like St. Helena or something? Yeah, somewhere somewhere in Sonoma County, I think. All right. Um, we're closing this <laughs> i feel like i kind of i need to see there's 28 dump, <laughs> dump dinners here um, well but the thing is i'm scrolling through the through this listicle thing but it's still telling me that all these things are <laughs> alfredo shrimp scampi dump dinner <laughs> and there's obviously something else oh man there's a the, the, because the new york time is fancier there is because I, I remember saving this because I'm trying to be healthier, and I've actually done a successful job of being healthier recently. But, um, oh, maybe I can find the link. Uh, I hate, because I still refuse to do this, but um, the New York Times charges separately for New York Times cooking. I know. I don't yeah. like that, because I pay separately for the crossword, and I feel like that's legit. But the cooking, no. I'm not. I'm on principle. I'm not going to pay you for it. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's this where the New York Times, I think their their more fancy way of expressing the concept of a dump dinner is called a sheet pan dish. <laughs> and I do think that's better, but well, I mean slightly. Just also, about just about anything would be better than dump dinner. <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna, we're moving on. But also with this, I I I'm a sucker for Brussels sprouts, and you get yourself a nice andouille sausage. I this this sheet pan thing, I it's been in my in my downloads folder for a long time. I'm, I'm super tempted to make this. Well, and I'm 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 a big honey mustard fan too. So everything about this sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, honey mustard. I'm I'm, I'm more of a spicy brown, but we'll, I'm not sure if those are substitutable. Mm, different, yeah, different um different things. Yeah. 
All right, Command W, Command W. All right, uh, we are talking about this because of uh, Warner. This is the worst name. Did we talk about this last week? That AT and T sold Warner Media. No, or, this or was this happened. Ago? I mean, we we take a couple weeks off, and all of a sudden, AT and T AT figures out that they should stop trying to be something other than a phone company. Yeah, turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry. Can I? You can edit this back. You were going to make a joke about AT and T dumping Warner Media. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. Okay. I actually didn't realize I was doing it until I was like midway through it. So it, it no. wasn't like it wasn't like I was like a big build up or anything. No, it's like when those people say no pun intended. I know damn well you meant to intend a pun mm-hmm. on the yeah, daily. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, again, this is a very scattered episode. But did you ever catch up on the daily? I, I caught up on the episode where Michael, Michael had the intro. Was like, hey, you know, I'm not, not going anywhere. Uh, that was the best. The actual episode, very skippable, but that part was good. Okay, can you give uh so I'll I'll talk about Warner Brothers Discovery, but can you give a tee off or can you can you can you frame the story of what happened 2 weeks ago with AT&T? So, it was announced that um AT&T and Discovery had come to an agreement where AT&T would spin off Warner Media, um, home of HBO, and merge Warner Media with Discovery to create a a new company that I think is going to have something like a 70-30 split or something like that with ownership, maybe 65, I don't know, some kind of split where AT&T slash Warner Media would would still be like the majority owner, but it's gonna be operated as like a separate company. And I think it's like the CEO of Discovery is gonna be like the new head of this of this new company. So I think it's gonna be a lot of like the D- Discovery leadership. Which makes sense because like, you know, the Discovery executive team is like, you know, an executive team that actually wants to run a media company, whereas, you know, ATT's management clearly does not. Well, um, who, who's the Stanky guy? I, I you have to ask Jason. He's the one who knows all the all the or names then, of everybody. Or then who's the HP? Because again, I unfortunately know uh, unfortunately too much about AT and T. Which is who? Wait, who who took over for um, Randall Stevenson? Is that John Stanky? Who's the guy who? Because wasn't the problem that. There, a couple of years ago, there was a meeting at HBO or Warner Media or whatever, and they did the whole thing where like a bunch of people got fired or laid off, and they're like, "Hey, like we're not doing a quality play anymore. We're just going to try to be Netflix, and we're just going to it's it's all quantity. We're just going to put a bunch of shit up there, and it's gonna it's gonna be what it is." Um, who was the guy who runs HBO then? I dude, you're asking the wrong person. I couldn't tell you. Okay, no, okay, Richard Plepler, he's the one who left. Anyway, but like I guess that's the part that doesn't make sense to me, which is that like Discovery Plus is fairly un not unknown, but like its success is unknown because HBO or sorry, uh, Discovery Plus just launched like 3 months ago, right? Well, that's I mean, when I when I saw this news, my very first thought was geez like warner and especially discovery like literally both just launched their own streaming thing so clearly this was not something that was like 
a long time coming <laughs> sure. or like, you know, well thought out. Like this is clearly two companies very much in the middle of just like trying to figure out like what the hell they're going to do um, to try and continue to compete with, you know, the Netflixes and Disney's of the world. Yeah. So I, I guess that's my concern. Well, I mean, not, not that, I, that I care much about either of these, but like, HBO and Warner Media seem like a much, that seems like, in terms of brand appeal, like, even though it was mismanaged and not a good fit for AT&T, those brands are much more valuable than Discovery or anything that they own. So I don't know. That's the part where it feels like an inequitable or like just not, it's not a well-matched Merger. Well, it's, it's, so it's, it's to follow up on my, kind of my, my summary here. It, it is 71% ownership by AT&T. So I, th- I think in that sense, this new, this, this new company is reflective of the fact that Warner still sort of is the, the, I mean, clearly the, the bigger of the two, but I don't know. I think, I think in some ways, like the, when you, like just from like a content standpoint, I think there's there's some stuff that that kind of makes sense. Like from the perspective that you know, Discovery has a lot of TV content that mm-hmm. that Warner doesn't have. Well, but but before you get too far into that, has there been any rumor or uh, public like hints that one of these services is going away? And that Discovery Plus will just get folded into HBO Max. Well, that no, I mean none of none of that's come out. But I mean that was sort of like another question that I had, which is like, given that both of these companies like just launched their own apps, like what's going to happen? I assume that what happens is Discovery Plus gets folded into whatever HBO Max becomes, and then those subscribers get brought along. See, but I, but I don't know. I mean, because that's the part, and, we, and we've talked about this, which is that Warner or H, like all of Warner's ca- uh, content catalog and all the stuff that they have, the way that it was folded into, or it, it was kind of displayed and categorized inside of the HBO Max app, never really made any sense. I mean, at the very least, with Disney Plus, they kind of simplified it down to, hey, we have like these five, like sub brands of Disney. And we're going to put it in the, like, we have the vault stuff. We've got the Pixar stuff. We've got National Geographic that we bought from Fox. We've got superhero movies. And then we have Star Wars. Like here, like, oh, you probably use, because you, you um, watch the, the Friends reunion thing. Like you've probably used the HBO app recently. The organization structure and how to find anything in that app, it makes zero sense. So if they're now going to shoehorn in potentially HGTV, Food Network, Magnolia, whatever i don't I don't know if that's actually even launched yet like i don't i don't know how they don't make this basically just bad netflix where like because netflix doesn't have like a lot of rhyme or reason as to what's into it other than the one show that they happen to be promoting that day so I, that that is where i don't see a lot of vision with this other than the fact that at&t probably got bored of it or just found that this was too expensive or too costly or just not worth their time anymore to try to curate and, and and nurture a streaming service in a very, very, very competitive landscape when that's not their core business. 
Well, so, I mean, we, we've been on that beat with, with all these new streaming services, calling out the fact that the completely like disparate set of content that they have just seems like it makes it really confusing to consumers about like what it exactly is they're subscribing to. But it kind of feels like we're just sort of getting to a point now where that's just sort of what streaming services are. They're just sort of, with the exception maybe of, of Disney, where there is just sort of a stronger brand association to like kind of Disney being sort of like the parent company for all that content with everybody else. Everybody just sort of, I guess is going to just get used to like, yeah, this random set of stuff I like is over here. And this other random set of stuff I like is over there. And I just, I subscribe to both. So it feels like a miss. Why, why wouldn't Apple just buy this? Like they, 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 like, I don't know. Like, is, yeah, doesn't, isn't, I, doesn't Discovery, doesn't that seem like a fairly family friendly, it, just kind of, why yeah, would they not? It, it does. Yeah. Uh, an, an Apple, an Apple acquisition of Discovery would, well, I mean, it, I, like on one hand, maybe makes some sense, but on the other hand, like, I don't think, you know, the Discovery Channel or Food Network or HGTV or any of that stuff is is going away from traditional cable anytime soon. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, so that's I don't know point. if Apple, like Apple wouldn't really want to run like a traditional TV cable business. Like, or cable, you know what I mean? Cable channel business. Sure, sure. Linear television. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fair. Well, I guess, it, and with that, we can actually kind of bring another topic into the fold. Uh, Amazon purchases MGM, and that was mm-hmm. also something that Apple was rumored to be interested in, but balked at the price. Like, I don't know. The, the, there's, a, there's a lot of M&A, and there's a lot of stuff going on in the entertainment world, but I'm not... I'm just really pessimistic on, like, on do consumers care? Like, I feel like they're all going to eventually end up subscribing to four services, and that's it. Well, cause I mean, and, well, and that's, that's all there's going to be. <laughs> there's only going to be there, four services. Maybe there was, there was a good interview on recode decode or re, a recode media with the, um, whoever runs AMC networks and kind of that they have very, very specialized niche over the top offerings for partic- particular types of consumers. And that was actually pretty interesting, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know because here's another thing where I forget who said it, but Ari or sorry. Oh, I said another email thing regarding the Amazon MGM thing that this was framed by Amazon folks as potential or oh no, I think this is also Peter Kafka of Recode where he was saying that this is an anti churn tool for Amazon Prime. I don't buy that anybody is making a decision whether or not to keep Prime based off of what's available on Prime Video. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. I very often forget that like Prime Video or um Prime Music or any of that stuff is is included with with my Prime membership. And mm-hmm. I I don't know if I'm just like not the audience for that stuff or what, but um cuz well, I mean I don't, you, Amazon did you never watched that Jack Ryan show, isn't that an Amazon thing? Yeah, we we I think we talked about that. The lady friend and I watched season 1. It it was a um Race it was an unpleasant watch. It was a way, way more mature version of 24. Ugh. Like it was, it was 
24 if it didn't have to adhere to the guidelines of broadcast TV. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, but like me, I, like I, I, sorry, I was about to say I'm, I'm glad happy Prime Video exists. Like, I mean, I really, I really don't care. Like, I mean, because it seems like a vanity project. I don't. I. No, I just, uh, yeah, I just don't. I don't think anybody's making the decision on whether or not they're keeping their 120 dollars a year e-commerce subscription because there was a show called Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which was a good show. But like, I, I, I don't think that's. I don't think those two things link. Like, I think Amazon, like, does have the benefit of, like, right now, like, I get to use Amazon Photos for free, which they're probably using to train facial recognition software. So that's probably also kind of sketchy and weird. But, like, it has enough value add, but the shipping is the main product. And when somebody is choosing and they see, they get that email that says, hey, Amazon Prime is going to charge you $119 in, in two weeks. And here's a really tiny link to cancel your auto renew. Like, I don't think they're thinking of, Oh yeah, but I can watch James, old James Bond movies every once in a while, and therefore, no, I'm not going to change services. So that's where big acquisitions like this don't make sense to me. Because are they? I mean, maybe MGM has a whole ton of uh, intellectual property and, and and characters and stuff that they can adapt into shows from Amazon Studios. But in terms of the legacy content, I mean, at this point, there's so much new stuff. Who cares for $9 billion? Well, yeah. And, and the the interesting thing that I didn't know until listening to Upgrade is that yeah, I, when I heard the the news, I was like, oh, well, that's cool that Amazon, you know, gets gets James Bond. But it's like they actually don't really because I guess James Bond is sort of like also jointly owned by this other production company that that sort of has like final creative say over what's done with the IP. So I, I like unless Amazon's struck a deal with them that we don't know about, it's not like you know they're going to be able to do a bunch of like James Bond spin-off series and everything on their own. Like they're still going to need the the um permission um of the actual um like owner of James Bond. So I, I don't know. It's um yeah, it's it is it is unclear exactly what Amazon's motivation is here. And I, I would love to know what the I don't know what, what the right term for this would be, like usage rate would be like of all prime members, what percentage use prime video like at least once a month or something. Because I, I don't think it Amazon disclosed anything like that. I, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 there, I mean, there are enough friends and family who talk about or recommend Amazon Prime shows where it, it, there, are, there are, you know, there are people out there who's using it, but... Oh, sure, it, but, but I, I would say monthly. Like somebody who's used it once in a year, maybe. But I, I don't think there's enough... Like, I think Netflix is one of those things where you don't have anything to watch and you just open Netflix. I don't think anybody's doing that with the Prime Video app. Yeah. The only other part about this is that it would be funny, uh, going back to the post-pandemic world type thing, is if that Amazon, not that Amazon movie, that James Bond movie that got delayed like 8,000 times, never never went to theaters and they just put it on Amazon Prime Video, that would, that would be fun. 
All right. What else? Oh, and again, in, in our upstream knockoff. Uh, well, yeah, the the new name of this com- uh, of the company for um, uh, HBO Max or whatever it's called, Warner Brothers Discovery, and the uh, I put it in Slack. What was the tagline of the company? Oh, it, it was something, something really cheap. Well, yeah, it, was, it was it was it was lousy, but yeah, that's most of the point. The stuff uh, that dreams are made of. Yeah, yeah, not good. And also, this looks this image. Uh, it's in the Slack thread. This is, this looks like something I would have ripped up in Photoshop in thirty seconds. It's, it's not good. The shadow on the text isn't even good. But but to be fair, this is from the company that brought you a streaming service called HBO Max. So you know, expectations should have been properly set. I and and this is foreshadowing for something I'm going to talk about next week. Maybe I think uh, calling a service plus is very lazy. And oh, uh, you don't say. <laughs> Again, that's that's tungled for next week because there's going to be a development there. But mm-hmm. uh, also, apparently, there's going to be something called CNN Plus. Of course, because why not? Because there's already, and that, this is the tricky part. There, uh, the the way that you can stream, like let's say you're a cable subscriber and you want to log in to watch CNN like out of your home, that's called CNN Go. So they already have that. So you can go CNN Go to the polls and open up CNN Plus. Are we announcing a technically correct plus next week? Is that is that the topic that's being tungled? It is not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's not. Not too far off though. Okay. Is All it? Right. Uh, is it the? Uh, is it? Is, no. No, no is more it, guessing. Okay. All right. Because uh, if you guess, you'll actually get it. <laughs> um, all right. Real quick. TiVo's basically dead. Um, oh, man. I I'm over it. I'm I'm I have not tuned my lg tv to hdmi one in months i don't i don't i don't i think i'm over the dvr i've been i've been a paying tivo customer since like the eighth grade i don't care anymore that the, i don't like the box i the company is, keeps doing lousy stuff like I, I i'm over it i'm 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 fine if it dies yeah it um I you know I'm I'm so close to to just not having linear TV and like not even not even because I feel like I'm going to be able to save a lot of money if I go streaming only but just because yeah I just never really turn on my TiVo I mean other than watching live local sports and that you really almost have to preface it that way now because you know national stuff is is basically all on the streaming services now so it's it's really live local sports it's like kind of all there is still that's exclusive to linear tv um and you know i and i i've talked about this before and i and I, I know i'm i'm totally silly about it but like something that i really value with streaming services above and beyond my TiVo. And this has been really true with Discovery Plus because of an update that they recently made. Or I I don't know, maybe it was part of the service from the get-go and they've just been adding more content now. But more and more stuff on Discovery Plus is actually like 4K HDR. It's like Dolby Vision. And it 
it just it looks so good and it's so much better than the compressed to hell video signal that you get through comcast and like i i mean i value that like we've got these like you know big beautiful oled tvs where when you're look watching you know cable content like it just looks like crap whereas if you're streaming something most of these modern streaming services you know support high res high bitrate video that just looks really really good and it's just it's nice to be able to watch shows you know at a much higher resolution yeah so I, i've been i've been valuing that a lot with with watching more and more streaming stuff yeah you're right because there, there, again uh i can't wait till better better call Saul comes back because again that's the only show that i think i ever use the tivo for anymore but I remember there was one week uh, a year ago when I forgot to record it or the season pass or something didn't work. And then I had to go find an, a copy of the episode that fell off a truck. And it was, um, it was, it was, it was a, uh, it fell off a truck that was connected to Amazon prime video and it was a nice, uh, 1080 rip. And compared to the quality that you get off of Comcast or just the standard AMC channel broadcast, it was a much more enjoyable show because it's a beautifully shot show and it looks so much better. So no, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, and I, and I was, I was reminded of this. So I guess another use case for the TiVo is um, even with like the nationally broadcast um, sporting events that I watch, like, you know, the NBA playoffs are happening now. So I've been watching some of that and I, you know, I often have to watch that stuff delayed. Like I, I'm not able to start watching the game right when it starts. So I, you know, record it and then catch up with it later. And that's, you know, that's hard to do with hard slash maybe impossible to do with a lot of these streaming services. So that, that's the other use case. Um, but I was reminded even with that stuff, like I was away from home, you know, these past couple of weeks. And so I streamed a Lakers game just like to my iPad. And it's like, I mean, it just, it just, the game looks so much better through ESPN's app than it does through Comcast on, on my TiVo. And it's, it's been a while since I've, I've watched a Lakers game that way. And it was just like, man, this looks so much better. Um, which is, which is, which is too bad, but yeah, I don't know. I'm in kind of a, kind of a weird, a weird place with what I want to do with, with cable. Well, I guess let me just ask if if your if your TiVo bolt died tomorrow, would you replace it? <sighs> Probably, because I because I I've had enough experience with the Comcast boxes to know that I definitely wouldn't want one of those. So, until I could actually get rid of linear tv i i think i would continue just to buy tivos yeah my ideal outcome for this would be do you ever use the xfinity stream app well i i never did until you kind of reminded me about it and ever since you did i have been using it more because it's it's really good yeah like i mean well, I, as long as you're at home hmm it has it has weird limitations. When oh you're yeah, outside the licensing your... of like some channels don't have out of home streaming. Support, yeah, you know? I ran. You know, I mean, I've ha obviously hadn't really been spending much time away from home recently, but 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 had been doing so more recently and ran in ran into that a couple times, which is annoying. 
Yeah, but my biggest thing, like, I actually really like that. Because, again, the only things I ever use cable for is Better Call Saul, local sports, of which I'm kind of over the Giants, I think, maybe forever, um, and cable news, which I've been weaning myself off of. But I'm somebody who will just kind of, I'll, I'll just leave on CNBC or Bloomberg in the background. Nah, don't, don't do that. It's not, it's, 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 it's not political opinion, so it's got that going for it. Sometimes you just, you just need stuff going on, uh, yeah, to, to break up the everything else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the one thing that would make it so that I, I would still happily, maybe not happily, that's the wrong word, but I would, I would be fine with paying Comcast for cable TV if they just added very rudimentary DVR functionality inside the stream app, that would do it for me. So why not? Cause like, I know, um, all those cord cutter services like YouTube TV and sling, I think they have. Because play the because doesn't Sony this wasn't there a thing called PlayStation TV? I think they stopped doing that. But mm-hmm. I think all of those have limited DVR, like like cloud DVR stuff. So I like if they did that, I would totally get rid of a TiVo, and I would straight up not have any cable going to my TV, but I would still be fine with paying Comcast for subscription like video service if I could just watch it that way but have something other than live available to me. But yeah, that's, I mean, that that's, that's where I am too, where basically the things that would need to happen would be, I would need a, need a way to, I guess actually you can, I guess you can stream sharks games now because they have that, like NBC NBC might, it's like the, my teams app or something. Mm -hmm. I, you, you can stream games that way now. Um, but but the piece that would be missing would be the ability to record them and and start start them later. Yeah. Well, and the irritating part is that you know on the back end, like everything's recorded. Like I mean, all, all of those HLS H two six four streams exist in the cloud, and they will continue to exist. So playing them back later is not a problem. It's just not yeah. something that they prioritized. Right. Right. But anyway, bring the, we bring this up. Sorry, I don't even think we actually talked about the actual news. <laughs> is that some um. Uh, a product manager, Chris Thune, and somebody else. A bunch of people, a bunch of key people have left TiVo, and also, and uh, Dave Zatz is somebody who's been kind of on the TiVo beat for the past twenty years. He also found that uh, Walmart and Best Buy, oh no, Best Buy is no longer selling any TiVos, and Walmart may not be anytime soon. So it feels like actually TiVo might be, might be on its last legs. Um. Because yeah, the weird pivot they had where they made basically like this Chromecast knockoff called the uh, the TiVo Stream 4K, which why why would anybody in the marketplace decide to buy something that's not a DVR that's called TiVo that's not cheaper than a Fire TV stick or a Chromecast or a Roku? Just like why? Well, yeah, I mean, who who is out there other than crazy people like us, and maybe not even us anymore? Like who is making the decision to sign up for linear TV, but opting not to get the cable providers box? I just feel like there's oh, just no, there's nobody there's nobody yeah there's nobody out there doing that. Yeah, which you know, yep, that's a problem for TiVo. <laughs> All right, and then uh, rounding this out, WWC is Monday. Do you have? We already talked about this a little bit with the iPad, but do you have any predictions or hopes, or do you? Are any any uh, closing thoughts or in, in in advance of the event? 
I mean, like, I guess, you know, format wise, I just, this is going to be another one of those Apple pre-recorded videos that, you know, they've been doing for the past year now. Like, I don't think there's going to be any surprise new format or anything. And Apple even came out last week and kind of laid out the schedule for the week. And, um, it's, it's basically, it's basically the same thing that they, they did last year. Um, in terms of like, what's going to be announced, I mean, there's kind of only one of two possibilities because there really hasn't been a lot that's leaked. There hasn't been like a big like, hey, here, here's what iOS 15 and iPadOS 15 are. There's been some some stuff like German had that that article that I mentioned earlier, but there there wasn't a ton of detail in there. And I mean, really, the only two possibilities are like there really just isn't much, and this is all going to be pretty small updates across the board um or apple has finally managed to keep a lot under wraps and we're going to be surprised by a lot um i am i am curious or i guess i i am leaning towards the there's just not really going to be a lot and i do think that one of the reasons for that might be the pandemic where i think last year even at wwdc a lot of what we were seeing was stuff that was largely done or at least had a plan to be completed, you know, pre-pandemic. Whereas now, I assume a lot of what's in iOS 15 and iPad OS 15 is stuff that if it was around pre-March 2020 had just been kind of barely started to be worked on. So I do wonder how much maybe the last you know, 14, 15 months and kind of with everybody being remote, how much maybe that's slowed down Apple's development efforts. So I don't know. I guess, I guess if, I, if I had to lean one way or the other, I would I would predict this to be kind of a quiet WWDC, but I would love to be wrong. Yeah. That seems, that's, that, that, that sounds right. I, I haven't actually given it much thought. I didn't actually notice until the upgrade draft came out. I was like, oh, wait, no, WWC is next week. And also it's on a Monday, not a Tuesday. Um, so I haven't thought about it at all. Um, well, the, key, the WWC, like the initial keynote, that's always on a Monday. Don't, aren't, there, aren't, aren't any Apple events usually on a Tuesday at 10? The, the non-WWDC events are, but, but WWDC oh. always kicks off on a Monday. Yeah, so I I don't have much to say here, but I guess I'll ask: it, Will there be any hardware announced? No, no, that's that's the stuff that that would have leaked. Okay, so you were saying this the entire week there will be no discussion of a fancier iMac or a fourteen inch MacBook Pro. No, okay. no, I think that I think that stuff is coming probably in a um, September event. Got it. Um, and have you upgraded any of your machines to Big Sur? Yes. Interesting. Is it fine? Uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. Are you sure that's not the source of your Slack bug? (laughs) Kidding. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. Um, Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 I don't know. I've had like the last few Mac OS releases here, like, they're fine there's not like a ton of new interesting features i wait long enough to upgrade where 
most of the major issues have been kind of ironed out and yeah, it just, you kind of upgrade and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Some of the icons look a little bit different. Oh yeah. You none of them are round anymore. Ugh. Well, no, they're, they're, they're all round. No, they're all, they're all squircles. Well, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, right. Oh, I, they're, yeah, they're not full circles anymore. They're all squares well, no, and rounded on, edges. Like on, uh, what do you call it? OS, um, yeah, how do you do it? Like on OS, what, what, what am I on? Mountain Lion. No. <laughs> Tiger. I don't, I, I don't know. That was a good pull. That that was actually, uh, I, I know you're joking, but that was the. Close, maybe? No, that was the. Snow Leopard. No, Mountain Lion was the no. Wait, Snow Leopard was it? Um, wasn't Snow Leopard was the the one where it's like, hey, no new features, we're just bug fixes. Yeah, that was the one where yeah, that the ten point six was like one of the best OS ten releases ever. Uh, but no, like I just sent you a picture of my apps folder. Like that before Big Sur, like things were allowed to be like the shape that they are. Yeah, not Whereas, anymore. Where now they're all they're all just like it look, everything looks like the the Amazon Photos icon, where everything's just like a rounded rectangle or yeah. a rounded square. Yeah. The nice thing with Big Sur, um, which is kind of what everybody points to, which is the 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 Messages app, like is finally okay on the Mac. I'm actually not quite as enthusiastic about it as some. It's still buggy, but at least it's got you know basically all the features that messages have on ios which is that's good yeah but isn't it can you tell me like because that's one of the reasons i haven't wanted to upgrade is isn't like it's screw up with like keyboard shortcuts i'm not a big keyboard shortcut guy so i'm the i'm the wrong person to ask about that mm. and i know that's i'm i'm i lose some I'm some, some geek cred for that but <laughs> well you 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 forfeit all the offset credits that you get by having purchased a loud clicky keyboard <laughs> which which i'm not i'm not really using that thing anymore it's okay because i, just, I, well, I can't i mean I'm, I'm on zoom calls like basically all day and I, I i you know i've got to be able to type while i'm on those and it's just it's too loud it's again it's sometimes like you're you're allowed to make silly impulsive purchases yeah yeah it was a phase and you've already grown out of it i've gotten and, better well, i've gotten better about it yeah yeah no i mean it, the, the mechanical keyboards are a phase Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. All right. And then lastly, before Chef Specials, and this is also kind of a Chef Special, uh, Trader Joe's in mm. the state of California. Now, because this is different, because oh, well, this is tricky. So in Washington and Oregon, Two Towns Cider House, uh, like, well, the, the alcohol selection at Trader Joe's is very, very different in different states. And uh, there is more in California for the past two years the only kind of two towns tighter house ciders that are available at Trader Joe's is unfortunately Pacific pineapple, mm. but two towns cider house has, uh, much better flavors, which are so bright cider has been eclipsed by cosmic crisp, which is a higher it's, it's 8% ABV versus 6%. And it has kind of a sharper, taste i don't know i don't know if sharp is the term but it's, it's sure got, yeah it's got more bite to it sure like like that root beer brand yeah mm -hmm. yep. um so yeah so i think cosmic crisp is the best one and also i guess 
yeah, like it, it's it's just better. And that was one that I had found and tried at Bevmo. And I do think that so Cosmic Crisp I've never seen anywhere else except Bevmo. But um, the Bright Cider was available at Washington State and Oregon Trader Joe's. But anyway, yeah, at this last trip to uh, Trader Joe's, they now have Cosmic Crisp. Uh, in addition to, there was also something else in the picture that you remarked upon saying was also good, and I don't remember which one it was. Oh, the Golden State Cider. Is that one good? Yeah, I, mean, I, I mentioned this, I think, on the show, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. They they opened their first like physical location up in Sebastopol, um, which I, well, I mean, I, I kind of got to see. Like, I, I grabbed a couple cans to go, but um, yeah, I, I, I like their stuff. They've got a really, they've got a wide selection of different ciders, and it's... um. I mean, so Two Town Cider House is is really it's really good. I'm not going to speak ill of it here, but at least with their flavored ones, maybe this Cosmic Crisp one's a bit different. But their flavored ones just sort of um, I know it's all natural ingredients, but it, they just have a little bit more of like a you know almost kind of like soda y kind of vibe to them. Whereas like the the Golden State Cider stuff is like very much like just all natural kind of more um subtly flavored maybe is the way to say it got it if yeah for a minute i was on the easy squeezy train but then very much no i think it was it was a phase because when because previously the only way to get bright cider uh i found was at bevmo was at in a um a 12 can variety pack which had prickly pear easy squeezy and then the bright cider oh no no it had uh the the, the uh, that god awful pineapple one and you had to buy eight cans of stuff you didn't like and then i just stopped buying it but um yeah the the other flavors aren't aren't great but the the if you have a chance yeah the cosmic crisp is uh when you're making your next overdue trip to trader joe's and you got to get yourself some uh brownie espresso ice cream bars Get yourself a six pack of Cosmic Crisp, and it'll be it'll be worth it. But does uh, does Golden State Cider have regular ones where like this this mainly just tastes like apple juice? Well, that that's that's what most of them are. Oh, um, good. I mean the the majority of what so they they have they have some varieties at that location in Sebastopol that are like you can only buy there that like they don't sell in stores, and basically the difference between most of them is like which orchard the apples come from but they're you know they're not really otherwise flavored like even this um this mighty dry one that that you've got in the picture like that's that's i've had that before like that that is just very much like a you know just natural apple cider like there's no other kind of flavoring to it or anything Hmm. but even like i i bought one from that sebastopol location that's like a it's like a ginger something but it's but it's very very subtle, whereas like Two Town Cider House has a ginger flavor, Gin, ginger ninja I think is what they call it, and subtle is is not what you would use to describe that flavor. Like it's very like gingery, whereas the Golden State Cider one is just yeah, it's it's subtle. Well, now all I want is a Moscow Mule. <laughs> all right, and people people should go check that out. The um the one the one comment I'll make about the the cosmic crisp, which is something that I've I've actually been noticing with some of these other kind of like canned alcoholic beverages, 
is um the alcohol content in some of these is it really it creeps up like in a way that you sort of don't expect like i i sort of when i pick up a can of something like this like in my head i usually expect something that's like i don't know four to six percent alcohol by volume but like this cosmic crisp thing is eight percent um there's this other company what are they what are they called i Cutwater, I think. Yeah, Cutwater. And they they make a, like a bunch of different um canned cocktails, some of which are like twelve percent alcohol by volume, which is like it's like a lot. Which well, like, I mean, that's, you know, that's... It, it it's fine. Like I'm not I'm not against it. I'm just like it it would I I would imagine it would be easy to like pick up one of those kind of expecting something in the four to five percent range and having it be like more than than double, which like if that's not what you're yeah. expecting, that's you know that's I, not great. Yeah, this, this is probably more of an offline conversation. But I mean, I I'm someone who doesn't want to. I like if I'm I don't want one. I don't like beer, but I don't want to drink like two to three cans of something. So I do feel like if if that's going to be your only beverage, like because the it's still uh only two thirds of the alcohol content of like your standard uh standard like bottled wine or um sparkling wine which are generally in the 12 to 14 percent range so yeah because i'm just just not somebody who wants to ever drink two or three beers so i I guess maybe that's where somebody would make a selection that way oh yeah no and and if if you're making a selection like i'm i'm totally on board i'm just saying that like it just seems like it would it would be um easy to maybe pick up something not realizing that its alcohol content is so high yeah but again hmm. i guess when yeah this is again this is going a little bit as sideways but like how many people how many beers are most people when they are electing to have to drink beer how many are they expecting to have i'm probably again the wrong person to ask i I mean just because i don't know like maybe i like i just don't drink that way but anyway this this is venturing into a different conversation so to well and and, uh, you know to to trader joe's credit they do really oh they make it very clear they highlight the fact that it's eight percent like it's in bold font whereas on the golden state cider which is 6.3 they it's kind of just off on the side Mm -hmm. so i I appreciate that trader joe's is is calling it out and also i appreciate what the artist at trader joe's because uh art artist is a job title that you get to make all the signs at trader joe's where they have under the two towns, uh, the the tagline is "Like the apples, try the adult version." Pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right, chef specials. You got something? Yeah, I do. I'm I'm trying to do the thing that I think you do too, where I've got Uh-oh. like my own private channel in the thing. Oh yeah, because that way I can just share a link to it, and that way I just that that allows me to collect like random stuff for the that's, opening. Because that's I I often have found that. I have a chef special that I'll think about sometime during the week and then I'll forget about it when we're recording. And then it's like, I'll remember it after, or like sometimes maybe I just don't remember it. So anyway, trying to get better about writing these down. That's what I'm saying. Right. Um, so after, you know, over 14 months now of working fully remote, I, I finally jumped on the standalone webcam bandwagon. Um, so my setup before Mm. was I have a kind of a a main monitor that my MacBook pro gets hooked up to. 
And all this time, I've just been using, you know, my MacBook Pro webcam, which, like, even from a quality standpoint, like, you know, whatever. But it's more just, you know, the MacBook Pro is sort of off to the left-hand side of my monitor. So whenever I wanted to face the camera, I had to, you know, turn to the left. And whenever I was looking at my main screen, which is usually what I'm doing, I'm looking away from the camera. And I don't know, I had I had this moment a couple of weeks ago where I was away from my main kind of workspace and was on a video call, like just using my MacBook Pro, where, you know, the, the webcam was now directly in front of me. And it like it just kind of dawned on me like, oh, yeah, this makes way more sense just to have a camera that's directly pointed, you know, in front of where you usually are looking. So went on to the wire cutter. They've, you know, they've got their whole write-up and they recommend this Logitech C920S, which I guess recently has just dropped in price. Like this thing used to be a hundred bucks and it was on sale for a while for 70 bucks, which is what I got it for. And I, I guess that seems to just be like the permanent price now. Um, so for, yeah, for 70 bucks, it's, you know, really it's nice quality it's it's pretty sleek it's got a decent mounting system you know i'm i'm way behind on the the webcam bandwagon here during covid but um but yeah it's it's nice nice to have a higher quality webcam that actually is directly in front of me at all times interesting um and video quality is good yeah it's fine i i don't I mean, it's it's definitely better than the webcam in my MacBook Pro. I don't know bar, if it's yeah. What's that? It's a very low bar, but it what is, and I I don't know if it's necessarily like dramatically better, but it's but it's better, sure. Cool. Yeah, it's a good price because remember when that was one of those things where nobody could buy toilet paper or webcams. When the- well, that so that that was that was what happened is you know when I first started working full time at home. I was like, oh, yeah, I should get a standalone webcam. And then it was like, oh, these things are now impossible to find. Like, I'm not going to pay an exorbitant price for one, and I'm not going to, you know, hunt and peck around to try to find one. And then they were hard to find for a while. So then enough months went by where I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm just using the webcam in my laptop, like, whatever. Um, but, but yeah, the, the price on this this wire cutter pick dropped to the point where, you know, it was it was quite reasonable, and um, it's 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 really worth having. the The only issue that I'm still kind of trying to work through is that so it it mounts you know at the top of your monitor, and at at the height that I have my monitor, the webcam sits up kind of high. Oh, need um, to angle it down. That's... Well, and it, it angles down fine, like that's not a problem. But then it's sort of like when I want to look directly at it, I'm sort of like we look like a kid. Uh, yeah, I'm like I'm almost looking up, which is it just kind of feels awkward and is kind of uncomfortable. So I'm still kind of figuring that part out, but mm-hmm. um but yeah, overall it's it's you know, for 70 bucks it's it's a it's a good to good purchase. Nice. All right, so I've got a weird one where like I I'm I'm not somebody who who uh sees YouTube as like an entertainment source. Like you ever hear like when like they say that like little like that teenagers and and Gen Z people like they don't watch linear TV or Netflix they all just watch YouTube. Oh, I I, I totally see that with with 
kids in my family, like the past, I don't know, five, six years, like that's, that's something I've really noticed is that How whenever they're on their, their tablets watching? or whatever, like just watching people play, like uh, play Minecraft. And oh I, yeah, I, no, that's, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. yep, I, know, I know, I know I'm an old, but I don't get it. No, I, yeah, no, I know it's, it's one of those things where I definitely catch myself saying like, yeah, wow, it, it was way different when I was a kid. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I don't get YouTube in that way. Like YouTube it, to me is a means to to broadcast video and find video on the internet. It's a, it's a place where MPEG four exists and that's it. And then you can eventually find like a nice, I got a nice Taylor. I got a nice uh, playlist of uh, Taylor Swift live concerts and I watch yoga with Adrian and that's uh, most of what I use YouTube for. But there's this there's this channel that's actually very good. And I forget, and I subscribed to it a long time ago and I totally forgot about it, but something popped up in my, because I generally never go to like, just like the standard like youtube.com, but there was something that popped up in like the little recommendation area, which it kept, caught my eye because again, it, things are heating up. We were supposed to have a very, very warm Memorial Day. It didn't really pan out that way, but I was getting uh, the old uh, LG 1419, uh, all prepped up but mm -hmm. wasn't necessary but he uh the guy i don't know his name he doesn't actually i don't think he publishes his name but he's he's very fun to watch he's very technically minded it's 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 funny but it's usually his videos are generally a 15 to 25 minute deep dive on a very specific and niche topic it frequently involves either uh like retro technology uh, like electrical engineering or what might be up your alley is like the way things in your house work. Mm -hmm. And he had a really good video, which one I, I I've like last night. Cause I just, I like whenever I have like downtime, I'm just, I've just been watching so much from this channel. He's explaining how uh, like GFCI and breakers work. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that that is how that works. Cause they, they caught me when I was trying to figure out which outlet in my apartment could uh, support an air conditioner without uh, turning itself off all the time which was oddly harder than I thought it was going to be. But anyway, so uh, if you can link in the show notes to this channel and also to this video about why portable air conditioners are terrible and bad for the environment and really, really bad for everything, um, which is true, uh, it's a very, very fun watch to explain why they fight basically every part of physics and are so horribly inefficient, but why he also explains why, like, we he understands why they exist because a lot of window types in types of dwellings can't accommodate the more efficient unit. Um, and he also had a really good deep dive on why almost all modern dishwashers are silly because uh, we've all moved on to using those little, like, you know, Tide Pods, but for dishwashers. Do yeah. you use those? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I've got I've got my nice preferred lemon-scented Cascade Platinum ones because I want the 16X cleaning power. I'm not a sucker. I don't want the 8X. So anyway, this channel's great. And... It's super fun, and um, yeah, it's the one good thing on YouTube that's not yoga with Adrian. His background is really neat too. Well, oh, you mean the red, the the CRT uh, CRT pixels? The yeah, because it, it's the RGB. Yeah. Oh, but it but it's actually it's like real. It, that's not like a green screen behind him, is it? Wait, which part? Just this. What are you this, looking at? The, the set he's just, like where he's sitting at the desk, and he's got just all this like stuff behind him oh no he's got he built uh no he's got a it's just a bunch of ikea shelving and yeah. uh, just a, a bunch of really cool stuff behind him yeah i like that oh and he's a big ev guy and he uh so he had a bunch of stuff on the chevy bolt and mm. also 
actually one other thing a compliment i will give or something that i will um this might please you as an ev person he had a really good video explaining why people think about evs wrong where everybody always talks about the charging infrastructure as being the problem is that there's not enough charging stations but that in the internal combustion engine gas-powered car versus ev discussion nobody ever seems to adequately explain that the need for refilling or like recharging infrastructure is dramatically lessened because most people are charging at home like that just nobody ever explains that the reason why gas stations are so necessary is because that's the only place to get gas but if you're somebody who's not driving more than 200 miles a day you can theoretically frequently just never ever need to visit charging or refueling infrastructure that's not your house and he put it in a really clear way that nobody i don't think anybody adequately articulates that for ev proponents that's that is a really interesting point and it it almost is like we plan these things what um i actually i have i have a topic that maybe we can do well next week's going to be wwdc so i don't know maybe this will be a topic for a slow week here at some point but mm -hmm. um this 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 trip that i went on um the past couple of weeks oh yeah yeah was the first first time in over two years that i've used superchargers mm -hmm. and i have some thoughts and observations i think that'd be kind of fun to talk about here oh you get hit with some idle fees oh no 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 not not at all um, and then also yeah and again another one you could throw in the show notes he had a really good one explaining exactly how uh how um charge points and um home charging works like a lot of this seems like i don't know why evs and nobody but tesla and tesla does so many things wrong like adequately explains how simple electric vehicles are and how range anxiety and stuff is like it, it's a valid thing but it's not really that way i don't know it, the, the, again people should just go watch this yeah it, no it, that that's that, that's a good preview for sort of my general observation from using superchargers the past couple of weeks is like it's just easy and kind of just not a big deal like yeah that's just it's it's just not even something you have to think a ton about yeah all right that's that's what people in the industry call a tease mm-hmm